We came here today to worship God. That's it. That's the only reason we came here today. And you all that are joining us online are joining us to worship God. I love it. Because so much of our understanding about church is about us, and that is what this, this series is about. So we've been going through a series of invitations that Jesus invites us to uh, as, as, as he was in his ministry. The first, the first invitation to the lost people, he said, hey, come and see. Come check this out. Come see what I'm doing. That's it. Low commitment. You're not signing up for anything. Just come check out what I'm doing. Check this out. And then the disciples saw what he was doing, and they, they said, hey, this is great. So then Jesus says, okay, now that, you've come, now that you've come see, the second one, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me around. I want you to, uh, to, to commit your life to me. I, wanna, I want you to follow me and do what I do and learn from my example. And the disciples did that for a little while, and that was great. And then Jesus said, okay, now... There's another invitation I'm going to make as you're progressing through discipleship. Come follow me, and I'm going to send you out to reach the lost. I'm going to turn you into a worker. You were a learner, but now you're a worker for the kingdom. And they started to do ministry. We talked about that last week. And then Jesus' final invitation through this is, I want you to make disciples who will make disciples. That's, that's the, the series of invitations that Jesus gave his disciples, and it's a model for us too, okay? Um, when, when, I was, um, when I was in seminary, I, I remember seeing a, a, a great illustration. It was a plane, and one wing was discipleship. The other was evangelism, and the caption was, the plane won't fly without either, neither will the church. And so evangelism means reaching people, reaching lost people for Christ. Discipleship means growing them up, becomes a cycle. Lost people, are, are, they meet Jesus, they're discipled, and they go and reach lost people, and they are discipled, and they, the disciples reach lost people and becomes this amazing thing that causes the church to fly, all right? Now, the church needs people in all chairs, we need people that are lost in here. If, you, if, you're not a, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. We need people that are learning. People that are learning. People that are growing. We need that. People that are workers. We need that. Okay? People that are disciple makers. We need them too. We don't want a, we don't want a church full of chair four people. Okay? We don't want that. Somebody said Christians are like manure. You spread us out. We make things grow. You pile us all together. It's a mess. Okay? That's, that's, what, that's the way it is. Uh, so we want people of all types. We, 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 want, we need people of all four chairs in different stages of discipleship to have a healthy church. So we're talking about the disciple maker today. And guys, I'm fired up. I love this. This is where I live and breathe. This is what I, I just love it. Okay? Uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the sower, where Jesus' parable, where a farmer went out to sow his seed. And there's four types of, of soil. There's a hard-packed soil where the, the, it didn't do anything. Birds came and ate it up. Then there's the, uh, the rocky soil. It sprung up quickly and then faded away. People get really fired up about Jesus, and then six months later, they're gone. And then, the, then, the, uh, then there's this thorn-infested soil where uh, it tried to grow, but it got choked out. That, that's people that are just full of worry and anxiety and stress and, 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 and love of money and, and what this world can give you. They're, they're just chasing other things. And then there's the good soil. And Jesus said it, it produced a crop. Uh, uh, here's the word understands it. When it produced a crop, yield 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, and we were wondering how one seed produced 100 times what was sown. 
Well, it's, it doesn't make sense if you're only thinking first generation. But if you want to understand this, come look at my yard, y'all. Um, specifically the weeds in my yard. They grow very, very well there, okay? One seed makes its way in the ground, produces one bunch of chickweed or clover or dandelions. But anybody who has a yard, anybody have a yard out there knows that if you let one in, what happens? Soon you have a yard full of chickweed, you have a yard full of clover, you have a yard full of dandelions. Why? Because that one seed produces seeds, which produces seeds, which produces seeds, right? That is what Jesus said the, the, uh, people who make disciples, who make disciples will do, okay? You'll produce a hundred times, 60 or 30 times what was sown into you, okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. A fully grown dandelion produces tons of dandelions, and a fully grown Christian will produce hundreds of Christians. That's what he's saying here. And John 14, people say, well, that's not for me. I, I'm coming to church because, you know, I got some needs, and, and, I, need some, and, and I, I need my needs taken care of, and, and, I, and, and I, I need some good music, and I need some good teaching. And, uh, well, that, I don't know why you're here, because you're not going to get good teaching but you can worship God people say well that's not for me that whole disciple making thing isn't for me well Jesus begs to differ because he says this in John 14 12 he says very truly I tell you whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father so Jesus said if you believe in me you will do what I did and I always thought that meant miracles um I, uh, I didn't get, I, I always thought that that meant if I believed in Jesus, I'd be raising the dead and, uh, you know, things like that. I even tried to walk on water once. I recommend taking your cell phone out of your pocket before you try that. Uh, I'm not very good at it, y'all. That's not what, but, but then I realized what Jesus was talking about wasn't the miracles necessarily. Jesus had 12 disciples and one of them betrayed him. So I guess you could say he made 11 disciples who made disciples. And... The work that Jesus was talking about, he made disciples. He passed on his love for God to 11 men and to others and trained them to teach others to do the same. And now there are 3.2 billion Christians on the planet because of Jesus, because of people doing the works that Jesus did. When Jesus was talking to the church, he said, you'll do greater things than me. You're like, greater things than Jesus? Yeah, actually, yeah, he made 11 disciples who can make disciples in the church has 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 made 3.2 billion cents, okay? Greater things than Jesus. And there's so many people that are hearing this that are like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. First, first of all, I don't think I could win someone to Christ. I don't think I could uh, just make a disciple. But not only that, but I don't even want to. I don't think I want to. Well, um, I ran track in junior high. I know that doesn't look much, I'm gonna look much like a track runner. But when I was... In middle school, I gave it a shot, and they decided to put me at the 400, which is one lap around the track. That's a tough race. I don't know if anybody's ever run the 400. Okay, well, Lafayette that year, this was in the mid-80s, like 1987, 87, 88, somewhere around there. Lafayette High School had a 400 runner that had the state championship, had the state record. It was under 48 seconds. Now, that's been beaten before, but back in the mid-80s, 48 seconds in the 400 was moving. I mean, Olympics are running in 43s and 44s. That'll give you the, that'll give you the, 
of the thing. When I was in college, the fastest I ever pulled was a 52. 52 seconds. So a high school runner that could run in under 40 seconds was really something. So my coach took me and the other 400 runners to watch him run. And we watched and we lined up at the starting and we, we knew who we were watching and, and, and the gun went off and, and, you know, two strides, the guy's already out in front. He's running like a gazelle and he's basically sprinting, uh, he's basically trying to break his record. And he comes around, and, and right about 300 meters, anyone's ever run the 400, your legs are stone. You've got nothing left. It is the, one of the hardest races you've ever run. He's sprinting. You can see his knees start to wobble a little bit. He's still out in front, and he's, he's running, and he's starting to lean forward. You know he's about on his last, uh, last breath. And he falls across the finish line onto the asphalt track. Okay, and he just, he basically face plants and skids like a plane that wrecked, you know. And then he rolls over into the infield and pukes. Okay, he had broken his record. We watched him break his record that day. And our coach looks at us and he goes, see guys, that's what I want you to do. (laughs) And I'm looking at myself and my teammates, we're in middle school, and we're like, coach, first of all, there's no way we could do that, but after watching him face plant and then puke, I'm not sure we want to, okay? Well, I've got good news. Philippians 2.13 says that God works in you both to will and to act, according to his good pleasure. So when you are, when when God is leading your steps, he changes you. He gives you the ability to do what he wants you to do, and he gives you the desire to do what he wants you to do. That's what Philippians 2.13 says. And the problem is so many of us have not allowed God to work in us. We're like those middle schoolers watching someone get it done, like, hey, I can't do that, and I don't know if I want to. Well, that's because we haven't allowed God to work in us, to change us, to do what he wants us to do. In order to be a chair four person, a disciple maker, there are four radical changes you have to do. I'm challenging the chair threeers, the workers, okay? I'm not challenging learners here. I'm challenging the workers here to to make these four changes because what happens so many times, the workers never move on to chair four. They do the work and then they say, well, I've put in my time. And they go back to chair two and become ineffective for the gospel. Okay, chair two is a necessary stage, but you're not supposed to move left. You're not supposed to move this way. You're supposed to move this way. Okay? Uh, but there are four changes that need to happen. The first one is this. Move from chair th- into chair four, becoming a disciple who makes disciples. This is Jesus' will for all of us. One, from consumer to producer. Matthew 21, 33-43 says this. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Okay, so far, so good. We, I, 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 this is my land. I'm going to hire you to work it. You get paid this, but the produce belongs to me because I'm the owner. You don't own it. I do. I mean, so far, so good, right? This is making sense. Okay. So this is us. This is God's world, y'all. He owns everything. I don't know if you know that everything you have is God's. 
Every dollar, every dime, every shingle on, on your roof, every brick in your house, every bolt in your car, every, everything's God's. None of it's yours, okay? None of it. If it was yours, you could take it with you when you, when you leave, but you can't take it with you when you leave, okay? We can't even take this with us when we leave. This stays here, okay? Everybody. So God, takes us, so God takes us out of our sin, out of our losses. He saves us. He cleanses us. He forgives our sins. He heals us. All are good. But then that's not God's ultimate goal for us, you all. It's not his ultimate goal. He placed tenants in the vineyard, not so the tenants could have a good place to live, but so they could work, produce its fruit. And when it's time to produce that fruit, well, the tenants did what a lot of us do when God says, hey, it's It's time. Verse 35, the tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. He sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Well, why did they do this? Well, simple. They began to think they were the owners. They really thought that the vineyard was theirs, not God's. They, they, they forgot that the owner owned everything, and they started to think that it was theirs. And so they started to treat, they started to think like it was theirs. Okay, they forgot who was sovereign. They began to regard the owner as an outsider. Here, this church, they began to regard the owner as an outsider who was encroaching on their stuff. And there are people in here who have that same relationship with God. You've forgotten he's God, and you look at him like an outsider trying to encroach on you and tell you what to do when he is God, not you. Many of us begin to be, believe God to be an unwelcome guest who's bars into your house, into your life, telling you what to do. Oh, we'll take the blessings, though. We like that. We like, we like the blessings, especially when we're in trouble. You know, God, get me out of this. Forgive my sins. I need you to do this for me. Yeah. But in the end, the tenants thought that they, that they were given the vineyard to work and the produce was theirs, not God's. God has so much like us, y'all. That, 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 that parable is so much like us. God gives us life. He gives us talents and abilities. He gives us possessions. The fruit, fruit of those abilities and talents, those are all his, not ours. And when God calls us to use those talents and abilities, we get upset, get defensive, this unwelcome outsider telling us what to do with what he's given us. And when he does, we tell him to get lost. We get offended, get put off. How dare you, God? Verse 37, last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus asked, verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read what is in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. See, that is what the danger that God has given us this building, he's given us each other, he's given us uh, our faith, he's given us everything, and we're expected to produce fruit. And a lot of us aren't. See, chair four people are people who are different than those tenants in this parable. Chair four people are the producers, not the consumers. And if you want to know who's a producer or consumer, this, this is your self-test, whether you're a producer or a consumer. All right? Here's your test. 
What's your behavior at church potlucks? Plain and simple. If you want to know who's a producer and consumer, just look at a church potluck. We have one coming up next week at Rock Fence Park at noon. Bring stuff. Shameless promotion. If you bring a 20-piece bucket of chicken next Sunday and you eat three, you are a producer. You're a person who gives more than you took away, right? If you bring nothing and you eat three plates, you are a consumer. You are a person who takes more than you give, okay? Now, how do, what, what about the church? Are you a producer or a consumer? Question I want to ask. Uh, most of us are consumers, honestly, but that's why chair four people are hard to come by. All right, we're consumers of worship. We love to church, come to church and consume. Uh, we consume music. We consume the sermon. Uh, many times when the sermon isn't good, you say, I wasn't fed today. Uh, uh, we choose churches based on what the church offers us instead of what we can offer the church. Uh, we need a cool children's ministry, a happening youth ministry for, the, for our kids. We need this program and that program. And if it doesn't happen, we have 100 other churches in this area to go to that offer exactly what we're wanting to consume, right? It's a mentality. Okay, well, a chair four person looks at things very differently, very, very differently. Chair four person isn't looking for consumption. They're looking for community, a place where they can be part of a fellowship, where they can serve. Why? Because people in community that need their influence. Paul said this. He said a dangerous thing to, the, to his church. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You understand the gravity of that statement? Hey, you all, follow me. I'm following Christ, I want you to follow me. That is what Paul said. That, that's, that's what a chair four person says, okay? Uh, a producer is someone who says, let me show you what it means to follow Christ, okay? They say, I know I will give more than I will receive. That's okay, that's what producers do. See, guys, when you're a child, you're a consumer. You consume. When I was a child, I brought no income to my household, but I expended a lot. I used heat, electricity, food, water. My parents paid for sports, clothes, uh, toys, you name it. I was a consumer. That was okay because I was a child, now I'm an adult. It's expected of me to produce. I'm expected to give more than I receive. I pay for things I don't see the benefit of. Any parents give me an amen? Yeah. I give and sacrifice, for, and, and all the adults in here, you do the same. We don't even think about it. Why? Because we're adults. Because we're not children anymore. And the same is true of our walk with Christ. Uh, when we mature, we give out far more than we bring in. It's just what a real adult does. We move from being consumers to being producers. What's our opinion? Just out of curiosity, adults in the room. What's our opinion of an adult who takes everything for himself and lets his kids starve? What's our opinion of someone that makes sure they get what's theirs to the detriment of everyone else? What's our opinion of that person? Pretty low, isn't it? Yeah? Someone will eat too much while his kids starve, his brand new clothes while his kids are in rags. Uh, I mean, what, what is our opinion of that person? Very low. Okay? So we must have larger and larger numbers of people in this church who move from being consumers to being producers. See, there are more chairs, they're more than just chair three workers. These are people who are by the example and by their investment of time are passing on their relationship to others. They're making disciples who can make disciples. And the exponential nature goes. They need to leave a net positive influence on the church and on the world and on the kingdom. When Jesus arrived, how many Christians were there? Zero. When he died, how many were there? There were 11. Jesus had been a producer. How about you? Hard questions, church, but I need to ask them. Are you having a net positive influence on the church, on the kingdom? 
Are you giving more financially than you're receiving? Are you making more disciples than simply yourself? Are you leading people to a closer walk with Jesus? Here's a, here's a tough one. Or if you happen to disappear, no great ministry would stop. No great program would go unfunded. No missionary would even notice. No great drop in disciples would happen. I'm afraid that many of us have what I call a toxic K-love relationship with the church. I call it toxic K-love relationship because I have a toxic relationship with K-love. Okay, I listen to it sometimes. It's okay. I, 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 I'm not a, I, I, it's not for me. I get it. There are a lot of people that like K-love. I'm not, that's just not my kind of music, but I listen to it occasionally. I was going through radio stations the other day, and, uh, and I was listening a couple weeks ago, whenever it was, and it was pledge drive time. Immediately, I changed it. Because, see, guys, I don't give to support it. We give to support a lot of things, but K-Love ain't one of them. I'm a consumer. Um, when I'm called to produce, to give anything to help it, help it go, no, nah, that's not me. It's my toxic, and if, I, if it, K-Love disappeared, eh, I wouldn't miss it too much. That's my toxic K-Love relationship. Is that your relationship with the church? You have a toxic K-Love relationship with the church. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go occasionally. I'll, I'll listen occasionally. I'm not going to produce anything for it. If it disappeared, I wouldn't really miss it all that much. But that's not a chair for a person. That's not Jesus' will for you. See, I, how did Jesus end this parable? Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to those who will produce its fruit. It doesn't say consume its fruit. Produce its fruit. That's who the kingdom is for. So that's the first change. We need to move from, move from consumer to producer. I want people in this church to have a net positive impact on the kingdom in the church, okay? Second, we need to move from dependent to autonomous. And this is a tough one. This is a tough thing for me to preach as a pastor, okay? Just hear me. This is tough for me to say because it can be taken so many different ways. But it's true. Hebrews 6 verse 1 Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. I remember the first time I was challenged to read the Bible. I was in college. I was in a band. I was in a Christian band uh, with some guys, and our guitar player, had, he told me, hey, I just got done reading the New Testament. And I was like, whoa, you did what? He goes, I, I, I read the New Testament, and, and I, I, I didn't know anybody who had done that, who actually read the Bible. I didn't know anybody. Okay, um, I, I mean, especially not my age, teens, college age. I thought this guy was like some kind of super apostle. I, I expected like Evan Almighty for the robes and the and the and the beard, like the Moses, and him have a staff and a bunch of animals to start following him. I really did. I was like, "Whoa, you read the New Testament?" And he goes, "Don't you have a Bible?" I said, "Yeah, like four. And he's. Did you ever consider reading it? I, I just didn't think people did that kind of stuff, y'all, when I was in college. See, chair four people need less and less of the preacher. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, they rarely look to Sunday morning as their biggest time of growth. Many times chair four people think there's something wrong with them, that Sunday morning messages aren't relevant to them. Hear, hear me, chair four people. There's nothing wrong with you. It simply means that you're part, of the, you're part of the church for a different reason now. You've matured to the point where the sermon isn't your primary means of growing. You've learned to feed yourself. 
It's okay. That's the goal. And people immediately the thought, so I don't need to come to church anymore. I'm a chair four person. I don't need to come to church. Whoa, wrong. There's that consumer mentality popping up again. Okay? Absolutely not. If anything, chair four people need Sunday morning more than anyone else. Chair four people need to give worship. They need to be part of the kingdom. More than that, people, people not in chair four need you to be here. They need your example. Is there anyone that qualifies a chair four person? It would be me, hopefully. Okay? Let me tell you, I need Sunday mornings more than, any, more than anything in my life. This is why. I teach four times a week, Sunday morning, Monday morning revive class, Friday morning men's discipleship group, community group. Uh, it's draining, spiritual draining, spiritually draining. And at the, any pastoral care that needs to happen. Uh, mission trips to be planned. Trying to be an example of my kids, my first disciples. There's a lot of giving, producing that happens my life. Sunday morning worship is essential. I could not live without it. All right? You say, well, you have to be here. You're the pastor. Well, even when we're on vacation, we still go to church. Why? Because it's essential to being a Christian. One of the most godly chair four people I've ever met in my life said something that I will never forget. Hear this. Hear this. I asked him how church was. He said, terrible. I said, well, how was, the, how was the sermon? He goes, awful, I've heard it before. Didn't tell me anything I didn't know. I said, how was the music? He goes, terrible. And so I asked him, I said, well, why do you go then? And he said this, he goes, because someone there might need me. Boy, that's somebody that gets it. He said, somebody might need me to pray for him. He goes, someone might just need to see a Christian man in church worshiping Jesus. He said, someone might need an example to follow. He said, church stopped being about me a long time ago. He goes, I got my beliefs. I got not, those aren't going to change. He he, he just, he said, but I'm not there for me anymore. I've got my beliefs. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I know that, but I'm there because there are other people that aren't where I am. And he understood that was not an arrogant statement. That was a beautiful statement. There are people here, you, you may not get anything out of the sermon. You may not like the music. You may not, this, this may not be for you anymore. But there are people here who need you. They need to see you. They need to see you worshiping. They're following you. They're looking at you. You are the example to follow. And they may just be hanging on. And they wander in here and burdened by life and stressed beyond imagine. And they see you. Not me, they, they, they know the preacher's supposed to be the preacher, but they see you, and they see you worshiping, and they see your faithfulness, and they see your steadfastness, and they see your consistency, and that gives them another reason to live, to go on. Don't ever mistake what Sunday morning is for. He goes, I'm there for others. I'm not there for me anymore. I'm there for others. He's more dedicated to the church and the mission of the church now than before. He's a producer of the mission, not the target of the mission. See, chair four people began to see Sunday morning as the time where they give. They give their worship. They give their wisdom. They give financially. They give encouragement. They give their example to people not as far along in, in, in their walk with Christ as they are. 
They've learned to feed themselves. They've learned to study the scripture. They've learned to listen to Christian podcasts throughout the week. They're involved in ministry that nourishes their souls. Whatever, uh, 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 whatever means you use to grow, you've learned to do it on your own. You don't want to wait, uh, wait around for Sunday sermon to be the, 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 the primary mode of growth. And that's why it's so hard for me as a pastor because it's tough when people don't need you. It's tough when people, you know, it's, it's tough. But for chair four people, they need to be discipled so they can make disciples. They, are, they begin to do the mission of the church, okay? And so um, I made a mental list of all the ministries that chair four people have started in this church since its beginning, and I, I, I left out tons of them. Um, Catalyst Christian Church, for starters, was started by people here. Um, Be the Village Ministry, going next uh, going on next door, serving foster and adoptive families. Asian Church Planning Mission, which has planted more than 800 churches in Pakistan, Nepal, India, and Bangladesh in the last 12 years. Uh, Catalyst Orphanage, over 191 uh, children in two locations now. Uh, Inside Out Dad, uh, reaching incarcerated fathers. Global Redemption in Haiti. Uh, both of our missionaries in Honduras, Rob Esposito, Laura Baxter, came out of this church and are serving down there. Elevate Christian Church in Lexington. All kinds of ministries that have been started by Chair 4 people here. Okay? Church wasn't for them. Okay? They, began, they became producers of it. Okay? The third change that needs to happen from sheep to shepherd. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. A Greek proverb says this, the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you will never sit. In other words, you will do things that have, do not benefit you. Your primary actions will be for the benefit of those who come after you, your children, your grandchildren, your, your, uh, the, the, the generations to come whose names you will never know. You'll move from, move from being a sheep to being a shepherd. You'll move to take responsibility for the spiritual growth and the care of other people. You say, really, that's a minister's job. Well, that's what's been lost in American Christianity. You all is never set up to be that way, okay? We've made the church a shadow of corporate America where the pastor's a CEO instead of a coach, Jesus viewed himself as a coach. Now, how many of you all have ever seen, ever watched a sport? The coach gets the players, and the coach says, all right, y'all, y'all sit here. I'm going to go play. No, that's not what the coach does. Coach trains up the players so the players can go play, and it's an honor. It's an honor to be on the playing field. Man, you don't want to sit on the bench. You want to play. Right? Well, guys, that's what the church should be. I'm a coach. You guys are the players. Okay? You guys aren't spectators. You're players. Okay? That's, that was never part of Jesus' teaching for the pastor to do all the work. He taught them the game. They went out and played. He taught them to do ministry. They went out and did it. He taught them to make disciples. went out and made disciples. And we need a church full of people that understand this. Okay? This past spring... I met with a group of husbands go through my book, the one I just wrote. And from the outset, I said this is a temporary meeting. We won't be meeting forever. We'll point, at one point, stop. And uh, you guys will go and disciple others. My goal is for at least one or two of the guys that I met with to take what they've learned and take that to someone else. It's to, uh, to reach people I don't know. 
um, to reach people that they know with, with, with good marriage stuff. My goal also for, for a wife, not my wife, my wife's already doing too much, okay? For a wife uh, to gather a bunch of wives and go through it. You know, to, to train up other wives, to go take other wives through that so that, so that homes can be built up. Um, these aren't ministers, they're just chair four Christians who move from sheep to shepherd and they're taking responsibility for someone else's spiritual growth and that's just a start. See, people, the game completely changes when you make this move. Your understanding of church completely changes. Your understanding of life completely changes. Your understanding of Jesus completely changes. Right? You focus on your life, the way you spend your time, money, efforts, passions, etc. completely changes when you move from being a sheep to being a shepherd. Uh, the, 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 the fourth change is this, optional to essential. Uh, it's Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The last change moving to chair four is seeing the work of Christ differently. It's seeing the great commission, not as an option, but as essential. Okay? We're called, commissioned, ordered. It's not an option, okay? People say, well, yeah, I mean, the Great Commission's great, but that's for those people over there. No, it's not. No, it's not. When Jesus was here on earth, like I said, there were 11 Christians. 2,000 years later, there are 3.2 billion Christians. You're like, that's amazing. That's one out of every three people on the planet. No, it's not amazing. And the reason is, the estimate is only about 10% of Christians will ever lead another Christian to Christ, another person to Christ. 10%. 3.2 billion people are called Jesus Christ Lord and Savior because of the work of 10% of people that call Jesus Lord and Savior. What if we could mobilize 20% or 25% even 50% of people who love Jesus to reach one person in their lifetime? The whole world would look different. But instead... We've relegated the Great Commission to the great option, and we watch other people do the work that we've been called to do. 3.2 billion Christians. That could be 8 billion if we took Jesus seriously. So here are the things, greater things than Jesus. This is what chair four people are called to do, is this right here. The first one, go through the Great Commission Jesus tells us, go into all the world and make disciples. All the world, that means yourself, your home, your church, your place of business, your community, your state, your nation, the other nations. Go into all the world. That doesn't mean India or Nepal. That means India, Nepal, the Dominican Republic, Nicholasville, Lexington, Kentucky. I am so tired of people who use, <laughs> who use the excuse why they don't do missions because there's so many needs here. The people that tell me that in general are doing neither. Going to all the world. He tells us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It isn't enough just to serve. Many mission opportunities really aren't. They're nice people, they're nice things, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but look what Jesus said to do to baptize. In other words, it's not the Great Commission if you're not winning people to Christ. The goal isn't service. The goal is disciples. Service is a great thing. Mowing someone's lawn, uh, fixing someone's uh, car. Well, those are great things to do, and I'm not knocking those at all. But let me tell you, when it come, no one comes to Christ. If no one comes to Christ, our faith is not being replicated to someone else. It's just something nice. It's not ministry. Okay? 
Third thing he tells us, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Conversion's not enough. It's not about enough to baptize. Those who reach, uh, 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 reach people for Christ are commanded to teach them, to disciple them. You can't just birth a baby and just leave that baby in the hospital. Hey, look, I birthed the baby. No, that infant needs care. That infant needs, needs food. That needs, infant needs to be nurtured and taught, right? We understand that. But if we don't do that with the people we reach, they'll just die spiritually, okay? Commanded to baptize and teach everything that Christ commanded. That's it. That's the purpose of life. Go baptize, teach. Where? Everywhere. And now the adventures have begun. And then Jesus says this. And you say, well, I don't know if I can do that alone. Jesus said, well, here's the best part. And I am with you to the end of the age. I love that. that Jesus says, when I tell you to go and produce the fruit of the kingdom, to make disciples, make disciples, I will be with you every step of the way. You're not doing this by yourself. Okay? I love that. I love that. And what happens if we don't? What happens? So, so you've heard this message, and you're like, well, I, I don't think that's for me. I just don't think that's for me. I kind of like the way things have been. I'm doing good. I'm good. I'm good with selling Jesus. No. What happens if we don't make disciples who make disciples? Well, the Bible tells us a chilling passage, and you don't have to. It could read like the front page of a newspaper. It says this in, in, in Judges 2, 7 through 15. The people served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, served the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in Timnah, hill country, and all that good stuff. Verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up and knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them to the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress." All it took was one generation of disciples deciding not to make other disciples, and the entire nation of Israel was wiped. They were in great distress. All it took, all it's going to take is one generation of American Christians saying, nah, I'm good. I don't need to make disciples who will make disciples. And we get what we have now. How many of you all are pleased with the current state of our nation. How many of you all think that our nation is honoring God? How many of you all believe that Americans care what God's will is? We don't. We are a nation in rebellion against God. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Why? Because we've said, nah, I'm good when Jesus said, go and make disciples. We don't learn the lesson from history. We're doomed to repeat it. Church, it is time for us to engage in the mission of Jesus. We're seeing the results of what happens when it doesn't. When the church says, okay, I'm good, I'm just gonna say no, okay? That is the warning from scripture. 
Understand that this is the natural progression for you. If you're in chair four, you need to be reaching the lost. If you are lost, you need to become a learner. You need to become baptized. You need to become a follower of Jesus where you can learn. And if you're learning, you need to become a worker serving in ministries all around in this church. And if you are serving, you need to become a disciple maker. And the process repeats. That is a natural progression. To get stalled out there somewhere is unnatural. And so next week, you all, next week, we're going to have a time of decision. We're going to have a time of we're going to identify where we are and what we need in the stage of life that we're in and how we can how we can move you to the next one. Okay? Next week is incredible. Make sure that you're here for that because we're going to be doing some awesome stuff as a church. I love you guys. Let's go make disciples who can make disciples. God bless. We'll see you. Bye-bye.